Fun fact, I heard that you played Danny Zuko in Greece. Oh, no. <laughs> there are so, certain uh, people I know that work for me that are not allowed to talk to you anymore. <laughs> Do you have my T-Birds jacket at home? Oh, my goodness. <gasps> that is pretty yes. cool. Yeah. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with Ross Lagerblade to learn more about value-based strategies and how we're affecting the healthcare system. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the official WNRG podcast. We believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insight into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. And I'm Brittany Lemaire. We are looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Be intentional, stay curious, and inspire others. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us. Hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. We have Ross Loggerblade. Can you uh, give us your, your title here? Uh, Associate Vice President of Value Based Strategies. Uh, and then, you know, because we've just gone through the whole new workday process. Uh, then we have a colon, and then I have Care Decision <laughs> Insights after that because there are a few of us who have leadership roles in value-based strategies that kind of go after different uh, strategies or programs, initiatives, et cetera, that create value. I feel like you're at, like, the very front line of this. Mm -hmm. this Trying process. to be. Yeah, I mean, there are folks out there collecting information about experience. You can, you can yelp. You know, you can health grades. Yeah. You can, I mean, U.S. News and World Report, there are places you can go and look at information about how uh, people experience the system. Uh, we have to be Does that make it easier or does that make I, it harder? Um, I, I don't know if it makes it harder. It just – I'm compelled to make it fair. So I worry about the sample sizes and, and the statistics and the, the math that kind of goes into how you decide when you can tell – our membership or the public at large about the way a physician cares for mm -hmm. someone. Because if, if the only people that are going out to talk about their experience are just the ones that are so frustrated and angry about right. it, you're not exactly getting a, the sample. A good census of. <laughs> a good sample yeah. of. Uh, or I hope not. Maybe right. you are. Right. That old Maybe, phrase, right. No and, news and, is good news. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. So, you know, trying to make sure that when we talk about this, because we've done a whole lot of work. And again, um, you know, Mark Warnicke's team, Jonathan Reiskamp, a lot of those folks, they've done so much around the science of making sure that when we talk about our numbers, our scores, ratings, whatever you want to call them for cost and quality, that we're, we're statistically sound, valid. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, that to explore that next dimension, which feels a little bit more squishy um, as far as the way people self-report. What questions were asked? How are the questions asked? Who asked the question? Was it on the phone? Was it on paper? When? Was it, I mean, when? when, when? Day yeah. night, day or How night. near to right. the, to the event? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's all that. So making sure we get wow. that right before we go to Why? market with that is going to be really important. But, you know. Um, it's the next exciting. step, though. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, what other payers are doing then? Well, I mean, everything I do now is based on consumer ratings. I don't really ever buy anything before I'm Googling it, researching <laughs> it. And so 
we have to be disruptive as a company and make sure we're ahead of that curve because eventually, if we're not there already, as a consumer, I'm, I want transparency. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to continue to evolve into even like a health space for me. Eventually, it's not going to be enough to be kind of in the dark about, about those types of quality and, and value. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find a way to figure it out because that's the direction we're going in. Right. So I, I think this is really exciting to know yeah. that Humana's um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm personally terrified that I'm going to find physicians who, I'm going to find physicians who, um, according to our data, are not incredibly efficient. They don't necessarily have the best quality, but boy, do people love them. You know, right. so there's going to be this experience piece. So we'll have to deal with that when we come across that. Sure. I think we're going to get all kinds. We're going to sure. get all mixes. Right. And, and have to find our way through that with yeah. the consumer to make sure we understand what it is. Because for some people, it's how I was cared for, not yes. what was ultimately delivered or how much I paid, um, but how I was cared for. But could that present an opportunity to help Drive share? Value. I think so. Right. I think so. The value and I think so. help the quality. Because and, and I keep saying physician. Let's let's be honest. The interactions with the healthcare system will include everyone that touches or talks to. Or even builds mm-hmm. a sign for that gets stuck on a wall somewhere. For right, the, it's all part the, of the member of the patient. Yes. Well, I, I know. I go back to the quality. So my mom is um, stage four COPD, so end stage COPD, and on oxygen all the time. And we started with a new primary, and it's a it's a deal, right? We're, we're getting the wheelchair out. Mom's you know catching her breath, but they came out. They held the door open. They mm-hmm. helped me in. This was a brand new physician. Um, the whole experience was top-notch, uh, a newer physician. She was a little bit younger. I went right on and rated her immediately and said what a phenomenal experience we had because I know the importance of that, right? Sure. I know that I need to be a voice when something's done right, when the quality is there, mm-hmm. when I feel like they really cared for my mom from the first person who greeted us to the person who checked us out, the whole experience. So mm-hmm. just. It wasn't just the physician; it right. was the entire office, right. um, and how important that is to consumers. And that feeds into our stars and our NPS and yeah. heat is quality measures. Everything all feeds into it, and helps quantify the you know, qualitative experience that our members have. When you ask my grandparents, Humana is the best thing ever. Like <laughs> they, I gave them a, a Humana bag. Oh, I love my Humana bag. My grandma tells me when she car- like carries their groceries in. It's, it's comedic but then it makes me feel good that i work for a company that she feels completely takes care of her they have a question they call their sales agent that's great and i just Mm -hmm. i love that i I love being a part of that we're talking about family here and and i you know everybody is touched in different ways whether it's through humana through the medical field through through your mother's um walk with copd and so forth and um how do you manage your work-life balance? <laughs> um, I well, I, I tell my teams always, you know, family first. I think we all get stuck with, you know, uh, either something that's happened within, you know, your family unit where you've got to be out, something that uh, something that you want to attend, whether it be a, a tennis match or a soccer game or or someone that wants to be done that. So we, you know, I always make that make room for that for my team. And so I think my team understands that I'm going to try to make some room for that in my life as well for my family. And it's always, you know, we've got to get the work done. We've got to be ahead of everyone else. We've, we'll never miss a deadline. We'll always achieve, you know, the goals that we 
have set out for ourselves and that have been set out for our, by our leadership. But we will flex in whatever way is required to make sure that we have that kind of balance. My own personal balance, and I have a, a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old boy, um, is really about you know committed to a plan. So when I leave work and I'm on my way home, it's not just, you know, at least in my own head, I'm not going home to just kind of see what happens when I get there and what everyone's doing. You know, I try to be uh, very thoughtful about engaging with them, whether it's for 20 minutes or two hours and either helping with homework or my son is a goalkeeper on a soccer team. So, you know, getting out in the yard and getting his gloves on and kicking balls at him or, or doing something, whatever it is that they want to do, but, you know, having an intent to do something with them and engage with them you know, every night if possible. Obviously, there's some exceptions. And, um, and some nights I get home late, but still, if I can get 10 or 15 minutes, maybe it's when they climb into bed and instead of just waving goodnight at the door, I'll sit at the end of the bed and mm-hmm. we'll talk about kind of what's going on during the day. But my That's biggest awesome. thing on that front is, uh, is planning. I, I think that, you know, if it's a Monday or Tuesday and I didn't get to spend a lot of time with them, we'll maybe talk about Saturday or Sunday. There's something that we want to do together. And if it's not that, you know, when's the next vacation? You know, where are we thinking about going? Just always having something out there in the future mm-hmm. for them to look forward to, for for my wife and I to look forward to, um, helps us commit to and maintain time that we'll take apart from our job and the rest of our lives mm-hmm. to spend time together and um, hopefully go somewhere or do something that we all learn something and experience something new. So, Just being purposely mindful That's about being like. in the moment. There's, there's the even better term. <laughs> that's just, that's, that's yes. what I, I picked up on it's from that really is mindful. making that mindset that I will be here, I'll be present and be in the moment and be here for myself. It's family. too easy to just go home and turn on the TV or right. do whatever. But, I mean, Netflix um, is awesome. Right, it is. <laughs> um, and so we heard that you are raised by a very strong woman uh, that kind of supported feminism. My mother, Mary, yes. yes. Um, mother, Mary. How, how has that kind of affected you growing up and being in the workplace? Um, there was no equality in my household growing up. Girls were better than boys at everything. Um, so I was, <laughs> I started with that from a from a very young Interesting. age. Interesting. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That was her favorite thing to, to tell me usually. But, um, oh, do tell. No, it, honestly, uh, you know, my parents were both school teachers in this little farmhouse mm. uh, in Kelowna, Illinois. Uh, when I was young, and they shared a car, and um, we, um, you know, we just kind of got by. But I think about the time I got to grade school, um, my mom stayed at home for a little while, and then decided she wanted to get into real estate, and she started to sell homes, and then she convinced her company to open a relocation department, and then she came to them with new ideas about how to work with hospitals and health systems, and then it's, the U.S. Wow. military because we had a, we had a military uh, base on our islands, so. Um, I did a whole lot for the real estate company, obviously a lot for a career. And I can remember a day with my dad in the car, and I I was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school. And uh, my parents really never shared numbers or anything like that about, you know, income or stuff like that. But he's in the car with me. He's like, yeah, it's official. And I and I it was kind of out of the middle of nowhere. I was like, what's official? And he goes, your mom makes twice as much as I do. Oh, and he would admit it. Oh, Absolutely. And, oh my, what did you say? Uh, but no, my dad, so, uh, you know, um, had never bothered him a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, he's a saint anyway. I mean, he's, I've just never known a, a kinder person. But he just the whole way I was raised, there was never, the, that man leading the household thing just didn't exist in my house. It never did. Um, 
my mother always did. Um, and she led at home and she led in the workplace. And I mean, he was very successful too, started his own company and sold it and retired early and kind of did his own thing. But it was never, I never ever heard that there was a place or a role. There was never that I would call traditional and maybe we should just call it historical. But yeah. there was there was never historical, that kind that's of good. Anecdotal, right? yeah, so archetypal. That's what I'm trying to get. Archetypal there you go. roles, and that, not in our house. Um, so it's just kind of the way I, I guess, formed my the way own you're kind wired. of thoughts. The way you're wired <laughs> now. The so wired, is your yeah. family, is your home life now structured that way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> you know, my wife uh, stays at home, but and and helps uh, obviously with the kids and um, does a lot of other uh, volunteer work at the schools, et cetera, during the day, but. Um, yeah, I mean, she's she's the CEO. She's COO. setting or yeah, or COO. Chief, Chief operating operating officer of the home. <laughs> That's true. We just we kind of have this balance where during the week, I know I've worked during the day, but on the way home, it's usually a phone call to, what do we need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I need to stop to get anything? And then, like I said, what are the kids up to? Because when I would get there, I want to figure out what we're gonna do if we get to spend some time together. And then, I usually flips on the weekend, so. Then on the weekend, I like to cook. So on the weekend, you know, I'm figuring out what are we going to – all the meals and trying to plan that and trying to plan, you know, what we'll do during the day. Or we like to go to the Y and do some uh, fitness classes or we'll go for a hike or we'll do whatever. But um, then I kind of plan the weekends usually. And then by Sunday night, it's kind of back into the week. So we kind of flip back and forth a little bit. So I, w- I wanted to kind of change – the direction a little bit, but can you explain to us and to listeners a little bit more about how your area fits into the bigger Humana picture? Mm. So we're, you know, we're, we're trying to help our listeners and ourselves understand like the greater Humana picture and sure. different parts of the business. Yeah. Sure. So retail. So if we think of Alan Wheatley and that part of the organization, I mean, there are many different teams uh, within retail. Mm. We've also included an org chart in the show notes. And But when we get to um, George Renadon, who is, is our leader, uh, or I had a Roman uh, who reports to him who's my boss, what you're really getting into is the network space. So you think about the folks that own, um, you know, provider contracting, uh, the people that negotiate, obviously, all the arrangements. Uh, we think about the market presidents. When you get into that space, you're now dealing with divisional teams. So you have divisional leaders. You have Rich Vollmer and Tim O'Rourke, Dan Tufto, Alan Stewart. So you have teams like that that have a whole lot of responsibilities, not just profit and loss responsibilities, but operations responsibilities in the divisions. When you come up then into the the corporate team under ORIDA, which is the value-based strategies folks, you get into... CDI, so you start thinking about how are we delivering value by bringing information, right? Data. How do you how do you help a physician or a hospital even become data driven by using our information on cost and quality and eventually member experience? We talked about that, um, but also all of the other ways that we think about communicating with primary care physicians through CareBook. How we think about rewards and incentives programs for our model practice and model home groups or our engagement teams. And even, you know, as we kind of dive into that uh, innovative payment space, how we think about setting up rewards programs and other incentive programs for hospitals and, and uh, other healthcare providers. So it's really about alignment of incentives, but 
that's that's kind of superficial to the fact that we're dealing with a physician community that's got all of its own cultures, all of its own pressures, mm -hmm. right? And at the end of the day, our members making sure that they're getting the best care and that we're delivering mm -hmm. the best um, value. So once you take all that complexity, <laughs> which is really all I've introduced here, and you start to think about now, how do I get everyone to be aligned? How do we find a way to problem solve for this so that whatever it is that we want our members to achieve to get to their health, uh, whether that be something very acute and episodic to something mm -hmm. that's very chronic, a very chronic disease, mm -hmm. COPD or diabetes, something like that, um, how do we take all of those, you know, these, these people, human beings, organizations that are being pulled like taffy in a hundred different directions and say, stop the madness. You know, if we want to achieve health for this population, mm -hmm. so from a population health perspective, here are the things that we want to do together with you. And at the end of whatever this journey is, this quarter, this year, some reward is gained by the member in their health, uh, by the physician in the work that they're able to do and do it efficiently. Uh, by the plan because it receives a great deal of quality for uh, a competitive price, right? And that whatever that is from a financial perspective, uh, from an ease of use perspective, mm -hmm. that everyone feels like they got value created from that. And that's uh, that's really really what the team is all about. So. What I'm really piecing together and taking from our conversation is that no matter where you are across Humana, what department or segment or function that your role has, we're still really trying to keep the member at the center of our focus and providing them value through different touch points or through the different work that each team does. And your team supports the value-based strategies and helping share that information. Does that help kind of tell you where we sit We're within human? It's so multifaceted. Well, we have and to stretch across a lot of... Which <laughs> makes sense, but wow, to grasp that and, and mm -hmm. put a pretty bow on it, that's, you know, that's, it's, it's tough. And CDI stands for okay. Care Decision Insights, mm -hmm. yes. just so we can let our listeners know out there. And so basically, whenever we refer to like the rewards and things like that, it's we're paying or we're helping present these opportunities for providers mm -hmm. to create better experiences, deliver better care. So mm -hmm. we will pay the physicians, that's what value-based, uh, right. the payment and the reward program is. So we're definitely rewarding those providers and that have better clinical quality outcomes that in, in reference create better value for our members that are using their Humana plans. You know, how do you define bold goal? And what does it mean to you? When I think about a bold goal, you know, I think about that, that which is attainable. But when attained, I'm surprising even myself. Because if I have the expectation of achieving a bold goal, if I just believe it's something that, um, you know, there's a 99.9% .9 chance I'm going to get to, I, the bar's not high enough. But when I get there, and when we achieve that goal, whatever that is, and for me it's, you know, the triple aim of being able to deliver value and a great experience for our members. When I believe that we know exactly where that can be delivered and exactly when it is delivered and how frequently it is delivered and, and, and if it's not, why not? Um, in any community in this country, that would be a bold goal for me. Mm. I think it is attainable. I have every expectation to get there. Um, but when I do, I'm going to be happily surprised. That's awesome. 
It is good. Can you define triple aim for us? Cost, so efficient, right? High quality. And then the experience uh, that you have with the system is, you know, excellent or ideal. And then anything, what's a story you don't get to tell often Mm. enough? (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, we we are at work today. So I'll try to relate this as much as I can to uh, the workplace. But um, and I'll start with a story that makes me sound like a fool. So everyone will probably get a kick out of that. But uh, when I was in college, I decided with a couple of buddies that I could uh, swim across the Mississippi River. And, oh, um, my goodness. And it was a very narrow part of the river. I grew up in the Mississippi. Um, and it was a very narrow part of the river. And there were about 15, 20 folks out that day and uh, swimming and water skiing and just goofing off. And um, so a few of us decided we'd just go for it and swim across. We'd be together. So if, you know, anything went wrong, you know, there was another person there to help. And so we got in the water and started swimming across, and the other uh, people that were with us that day got into the ski boat and went off to do some water skiing. And, of course, about halfway, so the worst place you could be, the three of us, I think, simultaneously realized we weren't going to make it, that we were just completely exhausted, and that we're in a current that's moving pretty fast. So we're moving away from not only the house and the adults that were inside and along the shore, um, but all of our friends got in a boat and went so far away they couldn't hear us. So suddenly we found ourselves very much alone um, and very much in trouble. And um, so, it, you know, swimming turned into laying on your back trying to mm-hmm. breathe to whatever kind of stroke you could get to just mm-hmm. move, keep moving towards the other side. And at one point I looked over and uh, one of the guys that I was with, um, because he was laying on his back not watching what he was doing and just trying to live, he had actually turned himself around and was going back towards the middle. So even though I was completely out of gas, I had to turn over on my stomach and try to swim and get him and grab him and say, oh you're, goodness. Todd, going the wrong way. You know, and pull him around. So anyway, we we barely lived. It was just a totally foolish uh, thing to do. You know, the, the, the lesson I have here, and I'll, I'll eventually work it back to the workplace, is it's funny how when you're in a stressful situation, you can create a bond with people that's um, completely unbreakable. I don't see Todd, but maybe once every, you know, eight to ten years. But if he came up to me tomorrow and said, I need help, I'd be right there. Mm-hmm. And it's because of, you know, 30 minutes of time spent in my life with him. And so when I when I hear um, men and women who have been deployed talk, come back and talk about brothers and sisters, and when I hear about people that have been in these terrible situations, um, they talk about a bond that can't be broken. I come back to a silver lining here at work when I say, when I, you know, with my team, and, and I don't, it's not, this isn't something I teach, it's just something I kind of think about that, you know, sometimes when you're packed into that room for eight hours to try to get something done and you're in a really stressful environment, you know, the silver lining there is usually these are the things that we remember. You know, I wish it was always just the happy times that we laughed at a joke, but sometimes it's that experience where we're all challenged, where we all really have to kind of dig deep to, to get something done together that ends up creating that bond. I mean, you, you talked about earlier about people on teams working together. You talked about airline, on uh, airlines, those teams. You know, they have some moments too, I'm sure, where events unfold that kind of push them together and help them gel. And mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, I tell the story about almost drowning because sure. I'm probably lucky to be here. But uh, the life lesson it taught me, I think, 
a long, long time ago is every once in a while, even when it seems like it's a really, you know, scary or stressful situation, I got to sit back and say, I'm going to remember this. I'm probably going to smile about it. And I'm going to be closer to this group of people than I might have, you know, in any other way, shape or form, just because we're finding a way to be successful together. And it's scary and it's hard and everything else. But, you know, you come out the other end of this and you look back and I don't know, maybe I'm a little crazy, but you, you just cherish a little bit of that. How did you get back? How did you? Oh, uh, we waited for the boat get... <laughs> to come okay. get us. We were not going to swim did... back. You know, did you make yeah. it to the other no, side? No, we got to the back? other side and we just there? sobbed is what yes. we did because we were just so uh, lucky. Grateful. Uh, and grateful that this whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, actually worked out. It was so dumb. But Count yeah, I mean, blessings. from that point, you know, all the way forward, like, there, there are times in your life where you meet these huge challenges and yet somehow you feel like you are very close to those people that are around you through those great challenges and you form this kind of bond. And so mm-hmm. I try to, I guess, silver lining that sometimes around work. So I, I'm lucky that um, I'm on the team I'm on and work for the people that I do um, because I'm really passionate about this work um, and the work is very rewarding. I'm, uh, I'm fortunate to work for Humana and, and feel very lucky to, uh, to have landed in this position and, and get to you know, develop and find and achieve new ways for us to feel good about the health care that we get. Changing the landscape of industry. That's right. I'm pretty sure Humana's lucky to have you. Yes. <laughs> hey there, listeners. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with Ross Loggerblade. Make sure to sign up for our mobile options by texting WNRG to 239-355 so you'll never miss an episode. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. And that's it for this episode. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us. Hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. Until next time, be intentional, stay curious, and inspire others.